Welcome to JM Sunday, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Matis Weingast. We are live today, and uh, today is Tisha B'Av, the day that commemorates uh, innumerable tragedies that have happened to our people over the millennia, uh, the foremost being the destruction of both temples in Jerusalem, and uh, we commemorate that. Today began last night, and uh, wherever you are around the world, I hope you have an easy fast and a meaningful fast. In our area of uh, New Jersey, the uh, Elizabeth area, the uh, fast ends at 9.07 uh, in uh, about um, 14 hours to go. So uh, we'll get through it. Uh, we heard Modani by Regesh. And we're going to be uh, hearing from Rabbi Beryl Wine with two uh, segments that are appropriate for Tisha B'Av. We uh, thank those who are joining us here at this time and hope that we can uh, make your Tisha B'Av a little more meaningful and uh, help the time move along for the next two hours. Uh, there won't be any live news from Israel today. Hannah Julian is off for Tisha B'Av. Uh, we do have words from Rabbi Goldwasser. That'll be in about uh, half an hour from now. We'll uh, we'll break into the uh, the session by Rabbi Wine for Rabbi Goldwasser's words. Uh, and. Uh, Actually, maybe I'll make an executive. No, no, no. I'm going to keep it at that. I was thinking maybe I'll make it at 8 o'clock. Probably go Wasser, but we'll keep it to the time. Uh, if you're studying Dafyomi later today, it's a sukkah. Uh, Yudalef, 11. It's the 18th of July. In our area also, it's going to be hot today. Right now it's 73 degrees, going up to 83. Going down to 71, partly sunny today in Jerusalem. Right now it's hot, 97, sunny going down to 74. I hope that uh, you did have a great week that passed and a wonderful Shabbos. Again, thank you for joining us. Uh, We are here for about another uh, just under two hours. So we're going to start off with Rabbi Beryl Wine uh, with the first selection of the the day for Tisha B'Av. And uh, here he is. On JM Sunday, we are on the Nachum Siegel Network. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tisha B'Av, for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar, 
And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a, a Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a, a sad, a doleful uh, type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that they got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know want to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. And whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrim has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. The Meforshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world because from grapes you can make something. You can not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left. People in their own right. Even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's Te'enim Ba'te'ino, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. 
They also are not here. Veheole novel, the with their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times... Uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. Yavrun, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. Almo'anachnu yoshvim. So the people who live in the scattered cities in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed? They're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else which is what happened in the uh, Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe, without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidim Hashem. Benidim Hashem will be silent there. So silence here is... Uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Vinid Mashom, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to him. The doors are closed. The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move him anymore. But there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him, it's in the parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. 
And the Rabban Shalom said, Rav Lachet. It's enough. I'll toast if Daber Eli Ode Badover I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a, the uh, gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. Mayashkenu Meirosh. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God, and therefore this tragedy has occurred to us. Meirosh is a, an interesting... Uh, a phenomena because when the person, according to the Mephorshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, ShopRite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace. They ain't told, but there's nothing good that happened. No good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refua. Time of healing. And instead of that, there's terror. Also is terror. The terror, the panic. That is that that is the uh, the psychological fright that we know is many times as bad, if not as worse, than the actual physical danger. We saw in Israel never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for for these two weeks, and they came back. One of them told me that uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv, and the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have, I have uh, someone in Israel that I, uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, 
to get some money from me, and we've been able to play people. And, uh, so the person is a, an agnostic, if not an atheist. It comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely, and I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And the fact that I hope in Mirza Shem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if you could, uh... so I got the facts back this morning. And he writes in the facts. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand, and he says, "Kishetavoli Mirza Hashem Lirushalayim." When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes in your session. Yeah, so you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nacharasusov. This is the description of the enemy. From dawn in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils. So you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in in horse and uh, cavalry warfare. So we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. We hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. The South, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, I am sending amongst you Snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tsiphoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. 
And it's a snake that even that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly. But there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch. But then there are poisonous snakes. But there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite. They are not very poisonous. It's not fun. But there are poisonous And then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal. Where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant. And the person can't breathe. He cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. Now, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But uh, most, uh, our enemies are Nechoshim Tsifonim. They are vipers. Asher Ein Lohem Lochash. So Ein Lohem Lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom. Meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn they make no noise they are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise you don't even realize that the snake is upon you others say there is no antidote to their bite because uh, many snake bites have an antidote and if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshotim mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi, inside me my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, Nevach, that like to say, I told you so who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. Right? I told you so. 
Nobody likes to hear I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in a community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me. Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. Hine kol shavas basami. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. Me'eretz marchakim. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall. And, uh, you know, to them, it's, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. We'll take a break from uh, Rabbi Wine's uh, discussion for Tisha B'Av, and uh, we will present Rabbi David Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, L'zech Nishmas, Harav Zev, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and L'zech Nishmas, Esther Bas, Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. The great Rosh Hashiva of Simcha Wasserman asks, why do we say, Bonei Yerushalayim? It's in the present tense. It should be, Yibonei Yerushalayim, in the future tense, that Yerushalayim will be built. We also read in the Tvila, Hamachazer Shechinoso Letzion, that Hashem returns the Divine Presence to Tzion. It should be in the Lashon Asid, in the future tense, not in the present tense. We should know that all of the long, difficult road of the Golos, the exile, is the beginning of Binyan Yerushalayim, the building of Yerushalayim. The Dasikanim explains, Baruch Basode, Blessed are you in the field. This is Tzion, like it says, Tzion Soda Techaresh. Tzion is a field and it will be plowed. It doesn't say Techarev, it'll be destroyed, but rather it'll be plowed. The reason is, is because when a plow hits the land, it's one of the steps of Zria, of the future seeding and growth of the land. In the very last speech that Rebbe Chonon Wasserman gave in the ghetto, he said that somebody who doesn't understand farming once went to learn vocation. He went to a farmer to teach him the malacha. First he sees the farmer begin to plow up the field. 
The student asks, Why are you destroying such a nice field? The farmer says, Patience, and you'll understand everything. The next day, the farmer takes out a sack full of corn, and he starts throwing it all over. The Talmud says, Why are you throwing this stuff out? You could use it. The farmer tells him, Have patience, wait and see. After a while, beautiful crops grow. The farmer takes his tools and begins to cut down all the stalks. The student asks, Why are you destroying your work? The farmer beats the stalks, separates the chaff from the wheat. The Talmud, the student, is completely baffled. When he separates it, the student still doesn't understand it. But when the farmer begins to grind up the grain, the student cries out, You'll turn all your grain into dust. Finally, when he puts in the water, the student cries out, You're going to drown it all out and flood it. Then he goes to bake it, and the student says, You're going to burn your work up. But when the farmer takes out the beautiful chalas, the student sees it and smells the aroma. Then the student begins to understand all the actions of the farmer. And so too, the great Rebbe Chanan Wasserman says, The farmer is a mushal to Hashem. Sometimes it appears that B'nai Israel is beaten. Sometimes we're scattered. Sometimes we're separated. Sometimes they try to ground us up. However, in the Akhrisayomim, in the end of days, we will all realize that all of these actions caused our nation to become great. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day. Thank you, Rabbi Goldwasser, for those words. Uh, we're going to get back to uh, Rabbi uh, Beryl Wine with his uh, discussion on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, on, uh, on Tish above momentarily. Um, it is um, 7.35 in the morning here on JM Sunday. My name is Matis Weingast. I'm with you this morning. We are live uh, for, uh, for Tish above here. And uh, it's the uh, 18th of July. And uh, I want to remind you that programming does continue all day long uh, here on the network. Programming appropriate for Tish above. Nachum will be back tomorrow morning on JM in the AM with the uh, post Tishabov special. That is the uh, stories uh, and songs from Rabbi Shlomo Kabach. Because today is actually the ninth, uh, with tomorrow continuing the uh, restrictions on many things in the morning until midday, uh, we'll still continue the nine days format through tomorrow afternoon till tomorrow afternoon and uh, then things will return totally to normal on Tuesday so programming continues today uh, thank you for joining us we're going to go back now to Rabbi Barrel Wine with the discussion on the uh, on the day of Tisha B'Av and I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys so on the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that uh uh, the, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall, and uh, you know, to them, it's uh, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's no, 
amongst us, there was always the, in our lifetime a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel. But it was not always like that. In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted. Take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my uh, parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp is printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like, the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that, too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav, everybody caught it, you know? Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imalka Engba, the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsileyem, b'havle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? B'havle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Of our kotzir kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved in the passage of time. Some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, 
uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17, after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Thomas and the 17th day of Thomas were the Romans. <laughs> he doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But, but his message is clear, right? So the Babylonians are back. We thought we would be saved. We have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Novi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al Shever Basami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. Tanovi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people. To be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach. It was 1943. And the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach, a paint now. And she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt, uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money. And they didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. Well, that's a naive, you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at. Hard to see, you know, how people don't feel. People don't, they're not sensitive to what's happening. They're only they're worried about uh, their petty things. Then all he says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Shama hechizikosni, desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous Pesach here, Chav Beis. Hatzori ain't the Gilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Imrofe ain't Shom. Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? 
Madualo also Aruchas Basami. Why do my people find no solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now, this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now, this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, Baum in Gilead. There are no Baum in Gilead. Which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there are no Tylenol in the medicine chest. And the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? It's Mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Me yitain roshimayim, alavai, would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There are so many tears to be shed and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. Aini mekordima, my eye to be the source of tears. If that would be voevke yomam valayla, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as chalalei basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Mi bamidbor malon orchim. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn, there is some solace. At the inn, there is comfort. So the Novi says, Alavai, that I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says, there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers, meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being adultery because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen 
as uh, it, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion, that God, so to speak, is the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter. And that it's a story of love, it's a story of a relationship, it's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. And it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So the, the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rabbonishalolam. They're a convention of traitors. A convocation of traitors. Because again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. Vayad kashtam sheker. The imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow, and it is like a bow, and the words that emanate from that tongue—that's the arrow. So vayad kashtam sheker means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way. So in the ancient world, the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long-distance artillery. So that's Vayadrachu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehood, sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. The lolamuna govru baretz. And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but velo without faith. A person without faith cannot be strong, or rather the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. Ki me ro'o el ro'o yotso'u. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say tilim, you go, before you know you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one Avera, right? There's 15 Averas that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's miro'o el ro'o yotso. 
They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. The Osi lo yodo num Hashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue that I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. The Ramban says his famous statement, Novel Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. Misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Gitzach right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbein Shalev. But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah, then all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel Viadoosi, the one that knows me, the one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from there was a, in our community there was a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died. He was in his nineties. And he came one evening, he was, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone. And there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg, to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rodden. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. 
It's not true. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. So I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's past it. It's not nice. In the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, He said, Why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayosa, kid's an orphan, comes to say, Well, what, I mean, what's your problem here? And the Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The Malochim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbeinu Shalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life, to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. Now that's what the Novi says. We always see no your dad. You have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you don't, you know, once you once you lost it on the radar screen, right? So then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good the good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, I have good news and bad news. Good news, he says, we're 10 minutes ahead of schedule. Bad news is that we're lost. That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but... We, we have no idea where we're going. Ishmaeru, Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation, right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation person's word. Yishmeru Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. Hashem, I'm in the... My wife is young, but I feel, you know... She hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. You know. I'm all white. But I get, you know, with the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail, I don't even open it. Right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the HLR, you know, I'd make $10 million, I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva, I'd give this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore. Can't bring me any good. Cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's Taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. 
Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. He said, Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Rochil Yaloch, bears tales. Can't be trusted. Yeah, we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The Ish Bireehu Yehoselu. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my, I, I always, um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price, because the, it's just, just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. No, this extra and this and this, and he's going to give me this, and he's going to give me that. No. I walk out, I'm, I can, you know, I feel like, like vomiting. That's your Hoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Loya Daberu. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. Lindu lishonam da sheker. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar, that the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. Lindu lishonam. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, you know, the, in the United States, we call the, you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you want a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night whatever, with one bag, right, corner, you know, they got three sheets for you, like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say, $99 to Miami, and you only, in the little print, you have six seats like that, and every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu lishonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the... Uh, the uh, brochures of the yeshiva. I remember in uh, the Chicago yeshiva, one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Mises. So they had to, they printed a catalog, 
So when the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it, so then we, in our yeshiva, Kanaino Hard End, there was like 330 boys in the base manager. We had a big yeshiva. We had 35, 38 boys in every shear. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember the Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. Can Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300, you want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the Yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of Limdu Lishonam Daber Sheker. Have Nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, well, and they had cheated on an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends still today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together, and you have to stay up nights and go and find key. I'm what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way you know, so study the three hours, right? You get the A. It wasn't such a hard test. So that's what the Novi says. Have nilu. You worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. It doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I, I think the, uh, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're putting a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world. That's, uh, there's plenty of hard work. There's plenty of kishrin. There's plenty of genius in it. Misplaced, the Novi says. Shiv besoch mirma. You have sunk, you have dwell in the midst of cheating. You have sunk so low that that's your way of life. And therefore, everything you do is that way, the Novi says. The mirror meyanu das osinu mashem. So their cheating is that they refuse to know me because they are so, they are so wild in their behavior, they're so perverse, they're so crooked that they refuse to reckon with me. They refuse to know me. They refuse to realize that I'm not going to let them get away with it. 
Oh, the Novi here uh, really uh, minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says, that's what happened. That's the Hurban. If that's the Hurban, so okay, so then that's what's going to happen. I have, the Novi says, I have no easy, uh, I have no easy way out. I have no easy way to settle it with them. And therefore, uh, once this matter is expiated, though, then we'll come and talk to them again. But right now, I can't do anything. Right now, their fate is sealed. The doom is upon them. Thank you, uh, Rabbi Wine. We'll get back to Rabbi Wine in just a moment with the second part of today's program. Uh, Matas Wine guest here with you on the Nachum Siegel Network on JM Sunday. We're live in this Tisha B'Av, day that commemorates uh, very sad and tragic events in the Jewish calendar, the 9th of Av, and uh, it's the 18th of July, 2021. We appreciate those who have joined us today, and uh, hope that you're having an easy and meaningful fast. In our area, uh, the fast ends at uh, 9.07, about uh, 13 hours from now. We're going to go back to Rabbi Wine presenting uh, another uh, lecture on uh, on Tishabov. And again, we thank you for joining us right here on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. The Novi says, Mi bamidbor malon orchim. Mi means alavai, would that God would place me in the desert. And I would be like an oasis. Malone Orphim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert, it's one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert, me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that it, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of, uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent, they're a drag, they make things worse. So the Novi says, I'll avoid it. I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert, I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. Not that easy. The Ezvoes Ami, I will forsake my people. The Elchomeitom, and I will go away from them. Kikulam Menoafim, all of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word Menoafim, that's the word for adulteress. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, 
and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant, and it also was a statement that kulam menafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate, because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means a gathering, a group of people who are traitors who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues Kashtam uh, Sheker to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that that that's accepted. A little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in, of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. And true people, true people, faithful people, Govruboritz, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, are uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And... Uh, Part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the uh, the, uh, the poorer class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people, people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they all, their heroes were clear to them. 
in our time that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here, lo le'amuna govru from one evil they stagger to the next evil. Uh, the uh, imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the, uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Num Hashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the, uh, of the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants, to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who, uh, who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person could be a novel virshus ha-Torah person can be observant, he can be within the parameters of Torah, and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person, because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the, again, the psyche of the relationship. It's part of the society. And every friend, Rochil Yahalov walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Each man, again, he cheats. Yehoselu means uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They have trained themselves. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted they worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But 
people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long, a number of years ago that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it, if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. It took days of planning. Risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study, so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what it, that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a, uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, uh, in garbage so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because of, they trained themselves in that society. We see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a, uh, of a situation that becomes, that becomes your normalcy. There are a whole spate of uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia are involved in crime generally, and they want to get away from it, and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties. And that's the, really the Greek tragedy of life, is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed, and we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore, their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me if they're determined to live in such a society? This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people, of their behavior, uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musar, and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people, that God uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to, uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore, the Lord God says, I am going to take the Jewish people. Tzorfum is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. 
The word tsoreph is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy. You have to burn off the, uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire. Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people, thousands of years. It's a uh, difficult exam. What else can I do, God says? I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the Vedim. What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says in God's name. What else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. Mirmodiber. They speak only dishonest words. He speaks to his friend words of peace, good words, nice words. And in his heart, he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be... Uh, in line with what he says. Rabbi say, Rashi quotes it, that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So Rabbi say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand 
and accounting for their behavior. In Begoya Asher Kozer Lo Sisnakim Nafshi, a people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes. So again, the what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult, is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the, uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. We do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people. So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yermio, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, Ani I am the person that saw it. The other prophets, and that's the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew it was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life who know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. They actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who was the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping. And in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure to meter connected meter because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah Zarah. So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered, removed from its exalted status. Valnaus midbor and regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn. Because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it. So that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. 
I mean, if you just think of the enormity of, uh, of the destruction. So the poor Emmer will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Novi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard in the countryside the sounds of the cattle, meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, Nodadu have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals. There were no birds. There was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, so she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other, Gal aid. Ma'ontanim, it became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal. It's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator. But it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. Ves Ore Yehuda etain Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Nibli Yoshev. With no one there. No one that's present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous 
psukim here in the Navi. From here to the conclusion of the Aftorah are some of the most uh, well-known and famous and strongest psukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before, this Aftorah is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tisha B'Av. The Aftorah is so strong, we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Aftorah sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Aftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? Who knows what happened here? So we could say that today. We could say that regarding the events of our time. Who is the wise man that can tell us, that can explain the Holocaust to us, who can explain uh, the state of Israel, who can explain all of the struggles, all of the wars, all of the pain, all of the blood, all of the sacrifice? Who could explain it? Who is the wise man who understands? And who is the man to whom God has spoken in explanation? The Agido, and he's now going to tell us what happened here. Who is that person? So this is based, the Medrash bases it that neither the wise men nor the prophets of Israel could explain the enormity of the disaster that befell the Jewish people. It's literally the uh, story of our time, too. All of the reasons uh, that are advanced by many uh, for the Holocaust and for everything else that happened to the Jewish people all fall hollow. They don't... It's hard for us to justify, no matter what our sins were, a uh, punishment of that magnitude, of that enormity. A million and a half children under the age of 12, all of the unspeakable things that happened. How, how did it happen? But Anovi himself has no answer. I'll more of the Oretz. Why was the land of Israel destroyed? Nitzisel Kamidbor, why was it burned, parched, like a desert, that it has no inhabitants, that no one lives there, no one visits there. Why did this happen? So the Gemara says no one could answer that. So God came and answered it. But God answers it in a way that's not understandable to us. To God, it's an answer to us. We find it hard to understand it. Vayomer Hashem, God said, Al ozvom es torosi asher nosati lifneim. Because they have forsaken the Torah that I placed before them. That's the root cause of all of these troubles. Because they no longer wanted to live a Torah life. They were no longer loyal to it. 
They did not hearken to my voice, to all of the prophets that I sent. And they did not want to go in the path of righteousness, in the road of the Torah. They did not want to follow its lifestyle, its value system. Instead, they wanted to go according to the wildness of their hearts. Whatever their heart wanted, they wanted to have. It's like uh, someone who is uncontrolled. He wants this, he wants that, he wants... He doesn't know what he wants. He just wants to be wild. The Achare Abolim, and they went after the idols. Asher Limdum Avosam. That their forefathers had trained them already. This isn't just this generation but that this was part of their heritage, so to speak. So the Mephoshim say here a number of great ideas. Number one, that they went after the idols, not because they believed in the idols. They went after the idols because they wanted to go after what their hearts wanted. So they needed a philosophy that allowed them to be immoral. A great deal of... uh, of uh, the Western world today uh, follows in that. They want to be immoral. They want to do whatever they want. So therefore, they invent the philosophy that justifies it. They say it's unhealthy to be inhibited. Other such... Uh, it's the, what drives uh, much of the... Uh, psychological explanations of man and justifications of man in the 20th century is the fact that man does not want to be bound to any moral system. Man does not want to be disciplined. The Talmud tells us that the, this... Uh, the Gemara in Gitten tells us that uh, the great Rev Yeshua Reb came to Rome, to one of the great cities in the Roman Empire, uh, where he heard a Jewish child was imprisoned, and he stood at the gate of the prison, he stood by the window, and he said the first half here, of the Oretz, why was the land destroyed? And the child answered from inside the prison, because they forsook the Torah. So the Tana of Yeshua said, if there's such a child that he understands that, then I will redeem him no matter what the price is. He, uh, he paid an enormous price to ransom him, to redeem him, and the child became a great Talmud Chochem. The great Rabbi Shmuel uh, was that child who was in prison. But again, the, the question that he asked is why, which is the most difficult question to answer. Al-Mu'avdoretz, why was the land destroyed? So people say, uh, well, you know, it was destroyed. It was political. They didn't have a strong enough army. It was uh, economically not viable, etc. None of those excuses are true. The country is destroyed because of its lack of moral fiber, because of the fact that it did not follow the Torah. We find the same uh, reasoning in the Talmud always. The Talmud asks whenever they saw an older person, they said, How come you lived so long? So nowhere in the Talmud is the answer given that I exercised or I took good care of myself 
I went to sleep early at night. The answer is always found in a moral thing. I did this good deed. All my life I devoted myself to this task. Because our rabbis always ask the question deeper than what looks on the surface. It's not enough just to exercise. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to exercise. But that's not, that, that's not the full answer. That doesn't say the reason. So here also, it doesn't say that the reason for the destruction of the Jewish state in the time of Yirmiyah and later in the time of the Second Temple was because of the fact that the empires were stronger than they were. And because this Jewish state had existed for hundreds of years, always were stronger empires against them. But because of the fact that they were morally bankrupt. In the end, uh, all the notes were called in. They were just wrong. And eventually they paid the price. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I'm going to, this people will be fed the bitter herb, which is lana. It's an herb that is a, the uh, Latin name for it is Artemisia which I'm sure uh, does something for everybody. But it's a, uh, it's a very bitter herb. So it's not poisonous, but it's very bitter. But vishkisi may rosh, I shall give them to drink waters of rosh. Rosh is already a poisonous substance. The drink that they will drink is like hemlock. It will destroy them. Now, that's the description of the exile. That's the description of the punishment that's brought upon the Jewish people. I shall scatter them among nations that neither they nor their fathers ever heard of them. The uh, scattering of the Jewish people throughout the world. So in our time, we begin to realize how far the Jewish people are scattered when we see the ingathering of the Jewish people, where Jews come from, all over the world, but places we never heard of, places that, you're, that no one ever knew of. And even in these places I shall have the sword pursue them, until they shall be destroyed. So the Radak says here, destroyed means that the majority of the Jewish people will not survive the exile. Which is, again, a historical and demographic fact that we can, uh, we can attest to, that the majority of the Jewish people have not survived the exile. Not physically, well, if we count it physically or spiritually, And the sword has pursued us wherever we have been. Again, the frightening uh, comment, but the, the, the frightening comment is that he's standing 2,600 years ago and talking about today. And he sees it. Ko Hashem Svokos, 
He's bone anew. Think about this. He's bone anew. Give it some thought. Think about it. Think about your situation. What is happening? Call the professional mourners. There were women who attended funerals and who mourned and wept. And that was their profession. They were professional criers. And that's true in the Near East today, in the Middle East today, in the Arab, um, you know, and it was true in Eastern Europe also, that if a person wanted to have a, uh, a deluxe first-class funeral, so then they hired people to come and cry, because otherwise nobody cried. So they hired people to come and cry to raise the emotions of the moment. Those are the Makoninos. They are the professional criers, the professional weepers. So in our time, when the macho is just the opposite, right? Not to cry. So we don't have that institution prevalent. But uh, it was uh, it was well known in the ancient world and even even till our time. Velachachomos and to the wise women who know how to mourn, shilchu, send for them the savona and let them come. And over here it's almost a mock, uh, he makes a mockery of it. Sarcastic. Usmaherna, tell them to come quickly, because the churban is here. You don't have time to delay. Vesisena oleinu nehi. And let them raise this song of weeping, of elegy about us. Let them moan. Let them cause that our eyes should drip with tears. Vapapenu, apapenu are our eyelids. Yizlumoyim should run with water. Call them that they should awaken within us the emotion of tears. It's interesting. The Novi says that the Jewish people had sunk to such a level that they couldn't cry anymore. They didn't even appreciate what was happening to them. You had to call the professional criers in order to instill in them that emotion of the uh, destruction. He called because there is a voice of weeping, of elegy, of crying that is heard from the mountain of Zion. And the voice says, How have we been despoiled? How did it happen that we have been so despoiled? That everybody that wants to can come and rip us off and take a piece from us and rob us and do whatever they want. How did this happen? We are terribly embarrassed. It's a shame for us. That we are forced out of our own land. That we are thrown out of our own land. So that was always thrown up to the Jewish people and throughout its long exile that they were a homeless people, the wandering Jew. The legend of, uh, like, the flying Dutchman or the uh, man without a country who was condemned to travel on ships throughout the world 
never being a citizen of any country, never having a place. So that was always seen as a shameful experience. Not just painful, but shameful, that no one wanted him. It's not till the 19th century in most of the countries in Europe that Jews became citizens of those countries, and it didn't really help us at the time of test. It's hard for American Jews to feel that way because we all feel we're Americans. We're all citizens, and we're, you know, we're Americans. Again, that's the, that's the blessing of this country. But the truth of the matter is that in no other part of the world do Jews feel that they're part of the country, even though they are citizens. Even You'll go to France, even in England, in many, many parts of the world, the Jews feel that, you know, that they have their bags packed. In the United States, we feel that, uh, that that's not true. Ki we have been forsaken. We don't have a country. Ki they have thrown down our dwelling places. We have no country. They have thrown down the country. They have torn down the wall. We have nowhere to go. Kishmano noshim dvar Hashem. Again, the novice speaks to these women. He has the fascination with these women, with the professional mourners, with those who come to cry. Kishmano noshim dvar Hashem. Let the women hear what God says. Vesikachoznechem dvar piv. And let your ears absorb the words that God has to say. In other words, be cognizant of what's happening here. To teach your daughters nehi, how to weep. Train the next generation, the Novi says. Because it's not going to be over in a minute. You're going to need another generation of criers. You're going to need the next generation of weepers, of professional mourners. The Isha Reusa Kino, and let every woman teach her friend Kino how to mourn, how to say and sing the songs of sadness. Kiolo Moves Bachaloneno. Again, the great Posik, frightening Posik. Death has jumped in our windows. The imagery. Sometimes death comes in through the door. He's expected. And sometimes there's, God forbid, a tragedy and death jumps in through the window. Like an armed burglar that no one expected. That's the imagery of the Novi. Leaps through the window. He has come within our palaces meaning our most protected places where we felt that we were not in danger and we could not be reached. I was in Israel for the... Uh, so I went to see some of the damage that the Scuds did on the way to Bnei Brox. I went near Savion, right? So you got the fanciest, most expensive homes, right? And some of them just leveled, right? Now, so one of the ironies of the homes is that the only thing that was left around it was the big high fence, which is meant to keep out all the intruders, right? So that's the only thing that's left. The house is leveled. 
That's Borobarman Asenu. It has come to our palace. In the palace where we are protected and at home, you know, we have the burglar alarm system. And death has come in. Lahachris olel michutz. It has cut off the infant in the street. Killed our children. Bachuri merchovos. The young men who walked in the streets have been felled by the enemy. So that the that description that the Navi says is again the description of the exile. The description of the destruction of the Jewish people. And the uh, powerfully uh, descriptive form of how he sees death as an intruder that leaps in through the window. Completely unexpected. Daber Hashem. Say as follows, God says. Tell them the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't portray it in a more positive light. Daber ko, this is what you should say. The noflo nivla saodom kedomen al Corpses of people will fall like dung in the fields of no value. So again, unfortunately, in our generation, we have lived to see that this is a literal description. It's not to be taken just allegorically or figuratively, but taken literally. And hopefully uh, that will change and Tishabov will become a happy holiday in the future as soon as possible. Thank you, Rabbi Wine, for presenting the programs today. I want to uh, thank listeners. Uh, Yaakov, wish him a happy, for commenting on the app, wishing him a uh, happy birthday today. Or I don't know actually when his birthday is, but wishing him a happy birthday. And uh, also a thank you to listener uh, Yitz, Reb Yitz, for commenting and uh, thanking us for the programming. And we'll all be able to be Zoka to see the Gula very soon. Amen. As we finish up today's show, thanks everybody for joining us today. Programming continues all day long, appropriate for Tisha B'Av here on uh, the network. Tomorrow, Nachum will be in with uh, JM in the AM uh, with the post-Tisha B'Av special uh, stories from Rav Shlomo Kalbach. And uh, regular programming, not for the nine days variety, should resume tomorrow afternoon uh, at some point in time. Thank you, everyone, again. Hope you have a uh, meaningful and uh, easy fast for the rest of the day. We'll see you. Hopefully you have a great week and a great Shabbos. We'll see you next week on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. You've been listening to Matis Weingast and JM Sunday on NahumSiegel.com right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.